It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Imagine being a 19-year-old college student and you think everyone hates you. Your school lost their biggest game in years and it's your fault. In that moment, it feels like the entire world is either laughing at you or looking on with disdain. Welcome to the first game of kicker Alexis Cerna's college career. The Oregon State redshirt freshman missed three extra points in his first ever game. To make things worse, it was a one-point road loss to the defending national champions. He makes his chip shots and the Beavers start 2004 with an all-time win in the history of this underdog program. As far as the fans are concerned, this freshman kicker was the reason that didn't happen. It was Cerna's first game, and it was in prime time. This teenager failed on a national level. It should have crushed him. And yet, 16 months later, he was named the best collegiate kicker in the country. How did this happen? You're about to find out. In a game as violent as football, where top athletes fight tooth and nail for mere inches in an attempt to make the other physically submit, how is it possible that winners and losers, championships and dynasties can be determined by a kicker? It doesn't add up, and yet it's an essential element to the game I love. I've spent the past few years fascinated by these athletes and tracking down some of the best to ever kick a football in search of what makes them succeed. Over 10 chapters, I'll do my best to explain the kicker position and what I believe it takes to make a champion. I'm Cole Weinstein, and this is Locked On Presents, Through the Uprights, Chapter 1, A Tale of Two Groza Winners. In the early 2000s, Oregon State was a football program trying to figure it out. There's Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon's got Phil Knight money, Nike, plush palaces of facilities, so they've got the leg up in recruiting. Ducks have had success. People start thinking the Ducks first, so that's just within the state. Within the conference, back then Pac-10, now Pac-12, Oregon State was, along with Washington State, the two lowest funded programs in the conference. And both of those programs were the underdogs trying to fight up against the UCLA's and USC's. They, they were always the bottom of the conference. Football-wise, absolutely. But all the way around, they're always thought of as, yes, the underdog. That's Cliff Kirkpatrick. He covered Oregon State football for nearly a decade, and he wasn't wrong either. Kirkpatrick was hired by the Corvallis Gazette Times in the summer of 2004. At that point, the Beavers were having one of their better runs in program history two bowl wins in the past three years. Prior to that, there were no bowl victories since the early 60s. Oregon hadn't been a historic football program either, but by 2003, the Ducks had made bowl games in seven straight years. It's frustrating for the fan base, the, the people working there trying to achieve and having success, and for the students. They see that they've got, the Ducks have everything. Oregon State is the underdog in its own state, always looking for a chance to punch up. They would get that chance at the start of the 2004 season. The underdog Beavers opened the year by traveling to Death Valley to play the defending national champion LSU Tigers. Led by head coach Nick Saban, the third-ranked Tigers looked to demolish the underdog Beavers from out west. But they didn't. 
LSU did not gain a lead until the team scored first in overtime. Soon after, Oregon State answered right back with a 19-yard touchdown pass by quarterback Derek Anderson. All Oregon State had to do was kick the extra point, and the game is tied back up. Another round of overtime. The only concern was that redshirt freshman Alexis Cerna had not had a good night. Cerna was perfect from range, making 140-yarder, but had missed both his extra points that game. Despite that, Cerna was given another chance. Make a 19-yard kick, one extra point, and your underdog Beavers are still in it against the defending national champions. I could tell immediately after that hit my foot that I missed. Former Oregon State Beaver Alexis Cerna. It came off and I I just kind of instantly knew and I looked up and just for like the confirmation and it was just when you're in the moment and you're in those moments, you don't think about cameras and all that other stuff. It's a game. You're out there on the field. Deflating anguish. There was a time when uh, Alexis Cerna became the poster boy for kickers, bad luck, inconsistency when there was photos taken of him. I was frustrated. I ripped off my helmet. I threw my helmet, fell to the ground. I was absolutely devastated. I couldn't believe that that had just happened. A lot of that is just guilt and feeling bad about about the situation too because I let my teammates down. They fought and we didn't have that opportunity to win and just all these emotions were just added up and I was just so, so frustrated with myself. Actually, I believe it was their kicker that was the first one to me came up and was just like, hey, like, don't worry about it. Just brush it off. You could see it on him. He fell to the ground just in anguish. Players were stunned. Other players were angry, just storming off. It was over and it just, they exploded. A loss like that can easily fracture a locker room. What I heard was just this was an argument. Guys were going, hey, we lost the game of the kicker. How could we put the game on the line and you do this to us? NFL, that happens. The guy's gone the next week. So it's like, that's like, it's the kicker's fault. Some other guys like pick him up and say, hey, you've got it. You're going to bounce back. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was uh, necessarily that people were, we got to stand by our teammate. I think it was more of they were trying not to let them kill me. (laughs) It's the best way to put it. But I don't blame uh, some of my teammates and really wanting to have words with me or even if they were trying to put their hands on me, whatever it was. Like it was what they were feeling with anger was nowhere near what I was feeling in agony. So it didn't really concern me too much. Many fans openly vented as well. How could this true freshman kicker ruin the Beavers' one chance at upsetting the defending national champions? A large segment of the fan base was saying, hey, we don't eat our own. He gave it all. He's going through enough for missing it. They wanted him to succeed still. How a team would feel was as similar as the fan base split, I won't say down the middle, but it was split. He's our guy. Let's be there and let him try to bounce back. And the other one's like, okay, I guess that's the last we'll see of Alexis Cerna. Next kicker, please. I think it goes without saying, but Alexis Cerna had a less than ideal beginning to his college career. After only his first game starting, many teammates and fans had already lost faith. How do you respond to that? Following Monday, he's like, I'm back to practice. I'm going to try and get better, put it behind me. And that was his feeling. And people are going to talk about it. And he's not going to run away from it. I mean, he just, he was, uh, he approached it head on. The next year in 2005, Alexis Cerna would go on to win the Lou Groza Award for the best kicker in college football. 15 months after missing three extra points in one game, Cerno was named the best amateur at his craft of kicking a football. How do you go from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs in less than two years? According to Cerna, that journey began in camp before the LSU game. 
The 19-year-old was a redshirt freshman at the time. The kicker that I was competing against, John Daly, had been there for a few years, and he was a really solid kicker. The competition was neck and neck for the longest time, but there really wasn't any clear indication of who was going to start. They still didn't really tell us who, so the following week, even before leading up to that, we were still kind of doing some things, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be starting in the game, and it wasn't until we landed in Louisiana that Wednesday before the game, Coach Reed was like, hey, which way do you want to kick off? the first kickoff was it like do you want to go right left like what are you thinking and I remember like thinking oh I, I guess I'm starting OSU special teams coach Bruce Reed had waited to tell Cerna that he had won the starting job until about 48 hours before kickoff instead of spending game week preparing with the added confidence and closure of knowing he'd won the job the redshirt freshman was on edge wondering if he'd done enough before his first game Leading up through that entire time, it was I wasn't really getting prepared for the season. It was more of trying to win the competition, and that wasn't the best of mindset leading into that season and leading into that game against LSU. Cerna had been giving it his all to win the starting job, not to prepare the best he could to beat LSU. There's a difference. And it was very, very nerve-wracking doing that competition. I didn't want to miss because then it would put me behind him if he ended up making a kick. So throughout the fall camp, most of the time I was kicking to not miss rather than going out to kick to make the kick. The mentality going into it is completely different. So I was going in there a little bit scared of missing and trying not to miss rather than going after it. Instead of putting his best foot forward for every rep, Alexis Cerna was focused on trying not to embarrass himself. If he was going to miss, he would miss close. Absolutely nothing wide left or right of the goalpost. Pressure made it so it was more important to look good for coaches instead of get better. The mindset won Cerna the job, but left him unprepared for the primetime lights of Death Valley. This idea of kicking not to miss is one that's connected with a lot of kickers I've talked to. Not just Cerna. Like, you know, it goes wrong, but it's like a surprise that you screwed up that bad that you missed the kick. So it's like, I went into the kicks from my freshman year, like, almost when a Lou goal came about, I didn't want to go on the field. That's Brad Craddock. He won the Lou Groza Award in 2014 with the University of Maryland. Like Cerna, Craddock's college career started out rocky. The freshman was originally recruited to Maryland from Australia, but not as a kicker. When I came over, I wanted to be a punter and our kicker got injured, so they switched me to field goals and I started kicking field goals two weeks before our first game. I kind of didn't really know what I was doing anyway. didn't really like kicking. But it didn't matter. Craddock was pushed into the starting kicking job as a true freshman. His struggles culminated that October in 2012 when he missed a game winner. It was homecoming, played NC State, and for 33 yards, just left the center. And I kicked it, and it felt amazing. Like, I thought I kicked it so well, and I hit it off the left off right. I just had no technique, and you feel like it was your fault that you lost, because it is. And I don't know, I just I didn't really enjoy my experience, and it was my first year at Maryland, and I just didn't really like it at all. He had a lot of soul-searching to do. I went home over the winter. I was like pretty much 50-50 whether or not I was even going to come back. I just really wasn't enjoying it and didn't think I knew what I was doing. So I got home and Clemson was playing LSU in a bowl game. I don't know what bowl game it was. They beat LSU in a game-winning kick. And I remember watching that kick and being like, that's what I want. I was like, how do I get there? There was Clemson kicker Chandler Catanzaro. The junior made a 37-yard field goal as time expired to beat LSU in the 2012 Chick-fil-A Bowl. 
That was also Clemson's first victory over LSU in program history. That entire season, Catanzaro missed two extra points and one field goal. He would go on to play six seasons in the NFL. If I go back, I've got to find someone that knows what they're talking about and to teach me. That kick sort of really changed my perspective of what I wanted. And if I was going to kick, then I was going to make the most of kicking. So I ended up pulling Matt Stover when I got back, started working with him. Matt Stover spent 19 seasons kicking in the NFL and is currently sixth all-time in points scored. 13 of those seasons were spent in Baltimore with the Ravens, less than an hour away from College Park, where Maryland plays. I got hold of Matt through another kicker that I worked with. I didn't actually know who Matt was when I met him. I just knew that he was coach. So I went out there and we kicked a couple balls. He's like, just show me what you do. And like, I can kick back to 55, 60 yards pretty easily. So we were sort of kicking and that was fine. And then he was like, what happens if you do this? And he took me like super wide and he's like, what will happen? And so then I was like, I thought about what? My body came through from that angle. Like, what happened? And we talked about that. And then he put me super narrow. We did that and everything. Craddock had found a mentor. He made it super simple and super easy to understand. I remember leaving out, remember calling my mom on the way home, being like, this guy is so smart. And then she's like, well, yeah, he played 19 years in the league. And I was like, oh, makes sense. Brad was an awesome guy, you know. He had a punt, he had a kick field goals, kind of, but he didn't know why he missed left and why he missed right. Matt Stover. He's very, I would guess, not disciplined with his technique. He didn't know what to expect from me, and all of a sudden he was this guy, you know, he's tired. All of a sudden I got with him, and I, I got his attention real fast and was able to teach him why he missed left, why he would miss right, according to his form, and got him really squared away. The two wasted no time. Started working with him the week after I got back to Australia and worked with him six months, and then he coached me the rest of my college career. So, yeah, that was the turning point. I had to find the best person in the area to teach me. There's no one better than Stover as a coach. I don't believe it. I think there's anyone in the country that has an understanding and then can emulate that to a student like he does. He spent that offseason getting better. He just changed my whole technique side, like completely locked me down, made me know exactly where each part of my body was at every single point of what I was doing. It went beyond just that. And then he really worked on my mentality of not being free-flowing and relaxed, but being aggressive and attacking the ball and not making excuses for things going wrong. He went from kicking not to miss to kicking to make it. And that mind shift of believing in yourself and trust that you'll make it is huge. Because if you go out there and you're like, I don't know where this ball is going to go, you're screwed before you even start it. And you miss more kicks from standing back there three steps away, two steps across than you do from when you start moving. As soon as you start moving, you're good. If you're in the right place and you're at the back of your stands, you'll be at the right place to fall. Stover saw his improvement as well. He listened. He got himself to work. He started working in the weight room. The guy did everything I had asked him to do. Brad did a fantastic job of managing that became the number one kicker in the country. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Craddock wasn't there just yet, but by the end of his sophomore year, he was named a Lou Groza semifinalist. 
Despite more attempts, his field goal and extra point percentages both went up, over 20 points in the case of his field goals. Craddock was in a great place and continued to build off his success. The summer leading up to my junior year, I think I missed two kicks in practice over the three weeks we had. I was kicking really well going into the season and I just felt really good. Things were starting to click into place. And then it was just taking one game at a time and sort of the kick kind of racked up without me even thinking about it too much. Craddock would go on to set the record for the most consecutive field goals in school history. The kick that set the record happened to be the longest in school history, 57 yards against Ohio State for his 17th consecutive make, his 11th that season. For me, I knew that was the school record and everything, so like running out there, you know what it is, and you know it's a big kick, but it's kind of like a goal for right? When they come in and they're on the last hole, they know they're one down, and they know they have to make a shot, and they have to make a birdie. You want to know that coming into a hole. You want those big moments, you want those big kicks, and put the ball down and go hard at it. Craddock would make 18 consecutive kicks that season, 24 consecutive going back to the previous year for a Big Ten record. I got in a groove and nothing really happened in the Rosa semifinals came out and there was a ton of us and then it came out as the final three. I hadn't thought about it at all and then that came out and I didn't expect it and I hadn't missed at that point. Perhaps Craddock's biggest kick of the season came against Penn State when he finally got another shot to win a game. First game-winning kick I got since my freshman year. So, yeah, I was nervous going out there, but it was that kick that I really wanted, and that's what I'd been training for for two years. Coming the ball, like, I took a deep breath. It was the most at peace I've ever felt in my entire life. It was, like, the reason I was supposed to be there. Everything felt right. But unlike the NC State game his freshman year, this time he rose to the occasion. It was freezing cold out. I remember, like, in practice, I could hardly get a 50-yard field goal, and it was a 43-yard field goal, and I kicked it over the upright. score would have been good from 60-something. The wind was going left, and I stepped inside a little bit. I pulled a little bit left and got a little nervous there that I was going to think off the upright again like not before, but I snuck it in there, and definitely the most exciting and, and best kick I had in my college career. First time Maryland ever beat Penn State at Penn State. It was fun. That kick was one of nine that Craddock made from 40-plus yards that season. That's half his made field goals. The Penn State game winner gave him his signature moment and won him the Lou Groza Award. He had embraced the position. If you get to the point where your technique's pretty much down, like you're not missing kicks, for you to screw up bad enough to miss, now, I'm not saying it's not hard to do, because it is, it, honestly, it's so easy to miss a kick, but you get in that point where, like, I'm not going to miss. That's where your mind's got to be. Craddock missed one kick total that entire season, perfect 44 of 44 on extra points and 18 of 19 on field goals. He went from not wanting to go out for kicks to truly living in the moment. Once I understood what I was doing as a kicker, there was nothing more that I liked than being nervous. I think it shows you that it means a lot to you. Now as I took my steps back, like I pray when I take my steps back, like for your Lord or whatever it is, I just take my two steps over and then I just take a deep breath. As soon as I take that breath, it's all just gone. And it's just me and the football. And the most peaceful time I've ever had in my entire life is that half a second from when the ball snapped to when I kick it. I couldn't get enough of it, really, to tell you the truth. It's like a drug. With Craddock's story in mind, how do you think Alexis Cerna looks back on his infamous performance against LSU in Death Valley? That was a blessing. 
I don't think I win the Lou Groves Award without the LSU game. It got me back into the right mindset that I need to just continue to be aggressive and go out there and just believe in myself. Cerner recalls spending the day after the game with his sister and her boyfriend's family. The turning point for me was hanging out with his family because as big of a moment that was in the sports world and everything going on in Oregon with Oregon State Athletics, I was on the front page of pretty much every single sports page. His family had no clue what the heck just happened. They had no idea that I was feeling extremely terrible. They just didn't have any clue. I remember them joking with me like, what, did you have a bad game or something? And I was like, they really don't know what just happened. And it was at that moment that I realized that football wasn't everything. It wouldn't be the first reminder either. I got a letter from a cancer patient. His name was Austin Pierce. He was a young kid. He was 13 at the time. And him and his doctor happened to be watching the Oregon State LSU game. And he wrote me a letter that basically said, hey, I've had some tough days myself and I've found ways to get back up. If I can do it, so can you. Not only was this the beginning of Cerna's friendship with Pierce, it was yet another sign of what the kicker had to do. I was kicking with no fear. Obviously, there's only one way up at that moment, and there's two choices that I could have taken at that moment. I could have just given up, called it a career, or I could fight. I decided that I was going to fight, so that's what I did. I put all my time and energy into that opportunity to be able to fight back and earn the job. Cerna was benched for Oregon State's Week 2 matchup against Boise State in favor of his competition, John Daly. The redshirt junior did not attempt a field goal in the game, but win a perfect 4 of 4 on extra points in the loss. Meanwhile, in practice, Cerna was knocking at the door yet again. I made all my kicks in practice. I actually made it really hard for them not to start me again for that Boise State game. But they said, you know, obviously, like, we have to give John a chance. And so they said, okay, I understand that. But I made it hard. I made it hard the following week. I made it that when that opportunity came for New Mexico, they weren't hesitant to put me back in. By the fourth quarter of the Beavers' Week 3 matchup against the New Mexico Lobos, Oregon State had a one-score lead. John uh, happened to miss two field goals in that game, and Coach Reed came up to me and he said, whatever the next kick is, field goal or PAT, you have it. It's yours. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, I hope it's a field goal. I really don't want to kick an extra point, which is completely different because extra points are way easier to kick. Cerna got his wish. And so what ended up happening is that I got a 35-yarder on the right hash, a north end zone. And as I start trotting out on the field to kick the field goal, another wave of booze start coming in. The Oregon State faithful in attendance that day had clearly not gotten over Cerna's gaffe against LSU. They hurtled booze onto the field when Cerna came out to kick off, and now they were taking part as their kicker attempted to win his job back. I was pissed, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to show these people. This was it. The only thing left the walk-on had to lose. So I went up there, snap came down, and just drilled this kick right down the middle. And the stadium absolutely erupted. They went nuts. But it also kind of shows you the way fans are at the same time. (laughs) Here they were 30 seconds ago booing me, and then now they're cheering their heads off because I just made a field goal. It kind of helped fuel my fire a little bit. And then after that, like I had the right mindset. I was ready to, to go on a tear after that moment. Cerna went from missing the first three extra points of his college career to setting a then Pac-10 record for making the most consecutive in conference history at 144 extra points. He would never miss a PAT again. His 2004 season should have been a disaster, 
Instead, Cerna finished kicking 85% on field goals and was named a semifinalist for the Lou Groza Award his first year starting. The only reason I knew about the award was on the NCAA game that I used to kick a bunch of field goals and win the award. So it was awesome to be able to be listed as a semifinalist. Cerna's hard work continued to pay off. I walked into Coach Riley's office and said, hey, I need to know if I'm getting a scholarship or not because I might have to transfer if I don't because cost of tuition is too high. And he said, you know, I was waiting to tell everybody in the team meeting, but since you're here, I'll tell you now, we're going to be putting you on scholarship in the winter. And I just remember that super excited feeling, walking out of Valley, going to my apartment and calling up my mom and telling her that I got put on scholarship. And that was just a great moment, just knowing that I was going to be the kicker for the future. And I was super pumped to just continue that momentum that I had going on. Now there was no one for Alexis Cerna to impress but himself. He wasn't fighting kick to kick anymore. So practice time could just be about getting better rather than stressing to make every kick look good. The offseason after my redshirt freshman year, it was a different mentality. Now I was training to get better and prep for the following season. And so having a, a solid nine months of being able to just focus on that was very, very helpful. And going into fall camp, it was a lot of fun. And having fun in fall camp and telling my holder with certain kicks, I'm like, all right, if I make this kick, I win the Lou Groza Award. Having that mindset and that goal set and having those conversations and believing in it, it helped manifest the actual outcome. Alexis Cerna won the 2005 Lou Groza Award and earned the title of Best Amateur Kicker. In one year, he went from missing three extra points in a single game and national embarrassment to making a game winner against Boise State the next season. He went from being booed at home by his own fans to scoring all of his team's points on six field goals in a 2005 win over Washington. His mind shift and determination allowed him to achieve the highest kicking honor in college football. I had to take all my finals early, go to all my professors, like I'm not gonna be here next week. And that following week during finals week, I was actually in Florida and got to enjoy my time and just really soak in. And when that was announced, that was a feeling like no other. Trying to hold, fight back the tears being able to hold that award. That was such a big, big moment for me. An experience like no other that I will always cherish. That was a very big moment in my life that I'll always appreciate. Alexis Cerna dropped about as low as an athlete can go. A rock bottom, to put it mildly. His own head coach, Mike Riley, was quoted by Cliff Kirkpatrick saying Cerna's LSU game was one of the most horrible first starts he'd ever seen to a college career. And yet, Cerna didn't waver. He dug in and committed to the only thing he had left. Being able to have the right mindset going into a kick will help you be more successful more often than not. And so it was a good learning moment to understand going out there to kick to not miss. You're tense, you're tight, you're not doing everything right. Rather than going out there being loose and just saying, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And just allowing your, your athletic ability to just take over and do it. For former Maryland Terp and Lou Groza award winner Brad Cruddock, that meant learning to trust his newfound fundamentals. For Alexis Cerna, it was a different kind of self-belief. You gotta have confidence. You have to go out there and you have to try to make the kick because it's gonna make a difference in the world. Even though they're the same, they're, they're coming out with the same results, how you're doing it is completely different though. 
As I'll show you throughout this podcast, place kicking is a mental game you play with yourself. Making a field goal has as much to do with the thoughts in your head as it does the swing of your leg or any external factors. It's a unique position within football that a lot of people don't understand or a lot of people don't know how to coach as like coaches or whatnot. It's, it's tough. We are different individuals, that's for sure. Both Cerna and Craddock faced serious adversity early on in their collegiate careers. They also both defied that adversity to be named the best amateur kicker in the country. Both represent the first principle of being a successful kicker. You need to buy in. You are lost if you don't play to make every kick rather than to not embarrass yourself. Like most things in life, it takes deep commitment to be a kicker. Throughout this series, I will explore exactly what it takes to excel at one of sport's least analyzed positions. The kicker might be the least violent position in one of the most violent sports, yet games are won and lost by them. It takes a certain kind of temperament to succeed like that. A temperament I'll explore right after the break. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. My fascination with kickers began in early July of 2019 when I first spoke with Cole Murphy. At the time, I was a rising junior at Syracuse University and Murphy was the starting kicker for the Orange my freshman year. I was introduced to the kicker by a childhood friend of his whom I met through an internship that summer. I hadn't interviewed a lot of recognizable names up to that point and was excited to have a conversation with an athlete I knew. I also thought it was cool we shared the same name. Murphy and I ended up talking for three hours about his life and experiences being a four-year starting kicker in the ACC. The conversation was unbelievably enlightening and I learned a new appreciation for a position I knew little about. But one thing stuck with me, stayed in my bones. For months after we talked, I thought about this idea that Cole shared with me. Around halfway through the conversation, Cole told me that he felt other kickers got him, that all the kickers he'd been around got each other. Curious, I asked why. He thought about it and said they were all similar like-minded people who got along. Again, I asked why. What made them so similar? He paused and thought some more and then told me the best way he could describe it. I don't have the original recording of what he said, but this is a good summation in Murphy's own words. When you think of a, of a beach bum, you think of some dude with long, wavy, blonde hair, tan skin, who's just kind of going with the flow. That's really how most kickers are. You're not going to find a lot of guys at the upper levels that are head cases that freak out when every little thing happens. They're a lot more likely to just go with the flow and whatever they say goes, you know, whether it's a coach or another teammate that needs something to go on or whatever that is. You're more likely to get those kind of guys that are like, yeah, man, whatever you want, I can get that for you. I can do this for you. If you need me to, you know, help you return balls, if you need me to kick off to the returners, whatever it is, that's just kind of our disposition. Even in the moment, I was fascinated and frankly kind of stunned. The idea that there could be a shared personality trait among kickers was a concept I frankly had never considered until I had one say it to my face. And it was an idea that stayed with me. 
For months, it was just a quote in my head until I decided this was something that needed to be explored. This is Chapter 2, The Beach Bum. I began nearly every interview I did for this podcast with a similar question. What do you think of the idea that kickers have an innate beach bum quality to them? A trait that allows them to be calm, cool, and collected under pressure. Something that allows them to brush off bad misses and not sweat the small stuff. A quality that seemed so obvious the more I sat around thinking about it, the more it became so obviously and indisputably true. Right? Uh, I would say that's partially true. We can't hold on to our failures or mishaps too long because that will get in the way of our progress moving forward, correcting the problem, and moving forward with confidence if we're living in the past too often. That's John Carney. He kicked for 23 seasons in the NFL and is fifth all-time in points scored by any player in the league. So he might know a bit better than me. But prior to that, moving on, we do need to identify what went wrong during the kick or the punt or whatever it was that happened on the field. We need to identify that correct it quickly, and then move forward with it. Correct it, move forward, take the wisdom from the experience, and and move forward and not let that pull us back and affect our progress moving into the future. Taking everything you can, learn from your mistake, and then let it float away in the ocean breeze, like a beach bum, or... Not having a memory like an elephant, you do need to forgive, but before you forget it, you need to move forward with the correction so you're wiser and better prepared for the next opportunity that is similar to the one you just experienced. But how are those kickers able to diagnose a kick and quickly dispose of it? Well, hopefully you understand your own style of kicking, your mechanics, what makes you tick, and so the process of troubleshooting what went wrong with the kick can be quick. It's usually one of the bad habits that sneak back into your process that you can identify quickly and then move forward. Missed kicks often go beyond the kicker as well. Now, it may be weather. You may have hit the ball exactly the way you wanted to hit it, and Mother Nature comes up and a gust of wind blows the ball wide left or wide right. And if you had to do it all over again, you'd probably kick the same kick, not realizing that that gust of wind was going to come up. In sports, and especially kicking, sometimes the problem isn't you but rather your ability to deal with the variables around you. You've got to be a person that when you miss, you just move on to the next one and you don't dwell on it. I don't know if it's a surfer mentality or just a personality trait, but I think the more successful kickers tend to be pretty laid-back people. That's Bobby Raymond. He was the starting kicker at the University of Florida in 1983 and 84. He's one of the most accurate kickers in NCAA history, only missing six field goals and three extra points while at school. I've got two brothers. I've got one older and one younger, and I'm a lot different than both of them. I think whether I had grown up on the beach or not, I would have ended up with the laid-back personality that I have. I think it's just the way that I am. You know, if you pay attention to it, the zodiac signs, I'm a Libra, which which tends to be somebody who tends to get along with, with a lot of people. And I was fortunate that we did grow up on the ocean front. So when I was in high school, I'd, I'd wake up at 6 in the morning a lot of times. I didn't have to leave the house till after 7. I'd jump up and check the waves. And, and if they looked really good, worth going out, you know, I'd go out and get a little session in before I had to leave for high school. Growing up, Raymond enjoyed surfing, a pastime commonly associated with a certain type of personality. The surfers generally are pretty laid-back people. 
But I've met some surfers that are pretty darn competitive, get in your face and battle you for position. It's like in any sport. Not all surfers are the same way, and neither are all kickers. Former Texas Tech kicker Alex Trelika certainly felt that way. Growing up, I started kicking at a pretty young age and went to a lot of kicking camps and things of that nature. And the one thing I'll say is that everybody has different personalities. So I think you definitely have to have certain personality traits, probably the ability to stay relatively calm in certain situations, but probably even more so the ability to sort of shrug off sort of the highs and lows, particularly the lows, because inevitably, if you do it long enough, you're going to miss kicks. And so probably the more critical thing is to be able to kind of move on from that and get ready for the next one. Something that helped Trelika's career was his ability to approach kicks the same way, no matter if he made or missed his kick. The one thing that never really changed through all of it was that when I went out actually on the field to kick, mentally, I never felt any different, just like from a nerve standpoint. I didn't really ever get that feeling of that kind of jittery feeling you might get when you kind of have nerves or anything like that. Again, this feeling was not shared by all kickers. Certainly not former San Diego Charger, Nate Kading. I tend to be a little bit more high-strung, I guess, than maybe your typical beach bum. I guess that's because I grew up in the middle of America and well, I wasn't close to a whole lot of beaches. There certainly weren't a lot of beaches in Coralville, Iowa, where Kading grew up. But as he grew older and got more experience in sports and kicking, he learned to deal with being a high-strung athlete. And I got good as I got to become a kicker in high school, college, and the NFL at being able to, to channel those thoughts in a productive way. So being able to kind of, if your mind is, is active and you're thinking about certain things, being able to direct those thoughts towards process-oriented thoughts. You know, what are you going to do in the moment? How are you going to take your steps? How are you going to line up? All those sort of things rather than letting your mind wander on. These are areas that kickers continuously work at. It's something you kind of get good at over time. You know, you get stronger as you become a kicker through high school physically. And I think the same thing can be said for the mental game. It's just sort of going out in a few situations early on and early in the career as a kicker and having a few mistakes. And maybe you can draw that to a technical mistake or maybe it's uh, mental. Maybe you got too nervous and the pressure bothered you. Just kind of being open and honest with yourself and then trying to find solutions to it. Just like any other position, it's all about finding what works and what doesn't. Like any kicker has different ways to deal with pressure, but it's around breathing and you know having a few thoughts pre-planned out that you want to put into your mind when you're going out there to kick and just being able to be real conscious and proactive in how you're thinking and working on that. And you do that with a lot of practice and... Implementing those mental techniques and the practice and, and really drilling away at it and get that routine down, that mental routine, which is just as important as getting the physical routine down as well. Alex Trelika also found success working his mental game in practice. And the other thing that really helped me a lot that freshman year, so I missed a couple kicks. A couple games, my, our head coach at the time started making me kick a field goal at the end of every single practice. And if I missed it, the whole team would have to go run like around the goalpost and back. Then if I made it, practice was over. I did that literally every single practice after the first couple games for the entirety of my freshman year. Little things like that where you sort of build confidence can help you sort of push past, I guess, middle blocks or, or things that get in your head. His field goal percentage would go up nearly 20 points between his freshman and sophomore year. It was also worth noting the coach Trelika talked about is current Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach. Leach is known around college football as quite a character, and I wanted to share some insight on him from his former Texas Tech place kicker. He's a pretty laid-back guy. He wasn't a super strict, sort of a very sort of by-the-book kind of guy. Sort of, Let's do whatever you want as long as you showed up every day and worked hard and sort of took care of you what your job was. It's definitely different, has a very different coaching style, and he's a different personality, but I really enjoyed him as a head coach. Always kept things interesting, that's for sure. I personally wanted to know how a coach like Leach 
can still demand respect despite his at times goofy persona. When he needs to bark, when he needs to command a presence, he does it. He's a little different than most, and maybe comes across that way, but if he crossed him, he'd let you know that he was the head coach. On the football field, he's, he's very much like any other football coach, but he does have kind of some, some quirks of his own. Quirks are found in kickers, too, according to former University of Texas long snapper Nate Boyer. My first year and a half, when I wasn't long snapping, when I just got here and was on the scout team, the kicker was Justin Tucker, who's the most accurate kicker in NFL history. He's an absolute nut job, you know, total weirdo. He would like sing opera in the shower while doing a handstand, like weird stuff like that. Really funny guy, but just quirky. However, just like Mike Leach, there was more to Tucker than just quirk. But I'll tell you what, he was the most confident kicker I've ever been around. He knew every time he went out there that he'd gonna make it. There was no doubt in his mind. You kind of got to have that mentality. You know, you have to have that. You certainly need to have that in the game's biggest moments. He wanted the ball. He wanted the opportunity to win the game. He didn't want the team to go down and score a touchdown to win. He wanted to kick that 40-yarder against Texas A&M at the last game of our rivalry. He wanted that. Tucker and the Longhorns are down by one with three seconds left on the clock. And when they froze him, when they called a timeout and tried to ice him, A&M coaches, like that just was more fuel for him. He was like, oh, okay, cameras are on me. This is my opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and swing a couple more practice trips. Icing is when the opposing team calls a timeout before the kicker attempts a kick. I know that Kirk Herbstreit and Bruce Davis, or whoever's calling the game, they've got the camera on me, and they're talking about me, talking about my back, they're probably talking about the kick I missed in warm-ups, whatever. You know, I don't care because I'm going to get up there, I'm going to hit this thing right in the spot that I want, and I'm going to send it right through the middle, leave no doubt, just quiet in this entire stadium. That's exactly what Justin did. Tucker made that 40-yarder on November 24th, 2011. I can imagine nailing a kick like that is a pretty good feeling. It's exciting, it's nerve-wracking, but then it goes back to that routine to where I've never done drugs. So I would imagine this is how it is when you do a drug. Former Lou Groza award winner, Art Carmody. When you're on the road, there's 100,000 people screaming at you. You can't hear your order, you can't hear, hear anything. And then the ball snaps, you swing your leg, kick the ball, and you look up and it's going right to the upright. That noise just stops immediately. It immediately stops. I don't think there's any better feeling in the world from a kicker standpoint. A kick like that is only possible if you have the right mindset. You have to understand the limitations of our position because we're relying on so many things. When we've come to terms with that, and we've understood that that's kind of how the position works. It makes it a lot easier and we can understand that mistakes are going to happen. You're not always going to get the perfect snap or perfect hold or you're not going to make good contact on it. Your tempo may be off, you know, whatever ends up happening. That ends up resulting in us having this kind of similar personality where we end up being okay with a miss hit every once in a while. We understand that's just kind of how it goes. Former Syracuse kicker Cole Murphy. You're not going to see a lot of pros in the league that are so normal erotic and they freak out about every little thing. Granted, you need to be attentive to the details. You need to understand the complexities of the little things in the game, but you can't be so wound up tight that you're not able to function because of that. Kicking is also unique because of the limited opportunities presented to the position. And some other players, they're not able to understand. And I actually have to compare it to them. I'm like, okay, look, let's say you're playing quarterback. Okay, imagine you drop back, you go to pull back to throw the ball, and somebody has to put the ball into your hand as you're throwing it, right? It's not going to be perfect every single time because the motion is so fast. When you put it that way, they go, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I don't have control over how they put it in my hand. The same way as, you know, you don't control if the snap comes in a little low or the holder bobbles it or he puts it down and it's off by the spot by about an inch. And on top of that, quarterbacks touch the ball on every play and can throw 40, 50, even 60 times in a game. 
Cole Murphy averaged less than two field goal attempts per game during his time at Syracuse. When I put it in that kind of context, they realize, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. There's stuff that's not in your control. You can't change that kind of stuff. You can't rely on it every single time. And eventually when you get to the pros and you're, or even in a high college level, it's a lot less common, but they still happen. And you gotta be able to roll with the punches and understand that that's just, that's just kind of how it goes. If a quarterback misses a pass, he often has another down or the next drive to get it right. A kicker misses a kick, he may not get another chance to right his wrong that day. I wouldn't say that it's a, you know, beach bum mentality, because uh, there are a lot of kickers I know that are the furthest thing from surfer guys or, or beach bums. Grows a winner Carmody shared a similar sentiment. But you do have to have that mindset to where you can immediately move on to the next kick or the next opportunity. Former NFL long snapper Kendall Gammon also disagreed with broad characterization of kickers. He spent 15 years snapping two and observing them, so he may know a thing or two about the position. I don't know if I would completely agree. I think, yeah, I was asked about this the other day about how, you know, some kickers are looked at as flaky or, or something. And then I told them generally in my mind, the kickers that are in, in a little bit different mindset, I guess if you want to say beach bum, that's fine. They're generally the ones to me that don't last that long. You know, I snapped for Morton Anderson 25 years in the Hall of Fame. He's, he's having dinner with me and, and, and the QB and the running backs the night before on, on away games. He's just a normal person. Morton Anderson and Jan Stenerud are the only two true kickers in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Everyone else in the hall who kicked played other positions as well. Anderson also held the record for the most points by any player all-time in NFL history for 11 years before Adam Vinatieri broke the record in 2018. Here are Anderson's thoughts on my question. Personality-wise, of course, there's a variety of guys that have played that have different personalities, so you can't, we can't box the position in and say that this is, this is this way only. There's a variety of personalities. And that makes sense. Humans aren't all the same in any industry or at any position in sports. But the ones who've lasted in the NFL did have some common traits. Most of the kickers I've been around are pretty buttoned up, serious guys, take their craft seriously, leaders, type A personalities, you know, not type A maybe, but more like in charge, driving the car, and not kind of, oh, whatever. Because kicking, it's a very specific, accurate, exact science that you can't wing it. You gotta be, if you want to be really good at it, you cannot wing it. And the best ones don't. What they all have in common at the highest level, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about college now, I'm talking about all pros in the NFL. They have a very uh, unique, individualized drive to become great at what they do. So they want to, you know, they want to really make their craft special and they want to own it. They want to own their workbench. And that's my big takeaway. The best kickers do have short-term memories and an ability to shrug things off like a beach bum. But that's not the trait that decides greatness. I think Hall of Fame-nominated kicking coach Doug Blevins really says it best. Not cocky. There are areas, but it's what I call a good area. They believe in themselves, and they believe every time they walk on the field, they're going to be successful. In most cases, they are. They have that persona about them. 
and he used a familiar name as his example. He was Justin Tucker, the 12 and 13 year old kid, and was the same way back then. The first day I worked with him in Austin, Texas, he was 13 years old, uh, just turned 13, was a freshman in high school. And I told his parents that night, who I have become good friends with, I told Paul and Michelle Tucker that night that he'll play professional football. They laughed at me. They thought that I was pulling their leg, but he had that mental component along with the Canada leg. Blevins saw raw physical talent mixed with strong confidence and a sense of self and knew that Tucker would be great. It wasn't just how he could kick a football. I think when you look at kickers across the country, whether it be the elite ones in high school, the ones playing Division One football, and especially the ones in the NFL, they're all extremely talented. They all have strong legs and are physically able to do the job. I think the ones that are most successful are the ones that can mentally handle it. Art Carmody. You know, in my time at Louisville, there were kickers that would come in that, frankly, I thought probably were more talented than I was, but mentally they just couldn't do it. As soon as they stepped in between the lines or had to deal with a snap in a rush or coaches looking over them they weren't able just to get the job done and that's ultimately what kicking is about getting the job done making the kicks you're asked to make in order to do that successfully you need the confidence to believe you can't miss part of that does come from a beach bum like mentality to forget your failures and stay cool under pressure the rest comes from a commitment to your craft a work ethic better than anyone else around you hard work and being prepared also breeds confidence or as the Hall of Famer put it, They want to own it. They want to own their workbench. Coming up next time on Locked On Presents Through the Uprights, why the best athletes become the best kickers, and an exploration of the mental side of the position. You need balance in life. You need to play sports. You need to make both of your legs strong. You can't just keep kicking a football with your right foot. Eventually, you're going to get worn out. And you can't just be a kicker and expect to go out there under pressure and perform all the time. You need other experiences to prepare you for that. On race day, my job was carrying tires for the right side tire change. And that was before you only carried one. I had to carry both. You practice and you practice and you practice and you almost become like a robot. It's kind of equal to a field goal or an extra point rep. The clock is running. His thing to us was you got one down to be perfect. There is no second, third, or fourth down. All other positions with basketball or receiver and stuff, you have got to be able to do it when you're gasping for air, right? You're, you're coming down um, and you got to be able to make that free throw at, at the end of the game when you're running full court and you can't breathe. Okay, you have to be able to do that when you can barely breathe. Or that receiver, you got to be able to run that route and be able to catch when you can't. So there's a lot of different variables. But as a kicker, you're not, you're not gasping for breath. Through the Uprights is reported, edited, and sound designed by Cole Weinstein for the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.